Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, and that's my wife, Julie, and we're back again with another installment of Paperback Readers, where we tell you what we've read, what we think about it, and just invite you to join in our literary conversation. Okay, this week, I have read three books over the last two weeks, actually, not just this week. The first one was a reread for me. It's called Every Moment Holy by Douglas Kane McKelvey. And this one I got for Christmas last year, actually, and I've just slowly made my way through it for the second time. It's a book of liturgies, a book of prayers for every random moment that you can think of. There's a liturgy for drinking coffee. There's a liturgy for... Um, somebody who's fearing failure. It's just all kinds of things. And I found it really, really comforting to read through them, to pray through a lot of them. I did not come from a religious tradition that really valued liturgy or planned prayers, but I have really gotten a lot out of this book. Well, see, it's funny you say that. I, you know, you you mentioned a few parts of it and I've kind of picked through a little bit of it. I, I hope to read more of it myself. I did kind of grow up in that tradition. And and as a kid, it was just very boring to me. It was very dull and monotonous. And maybe it's the weird times we've been in with the pandemic and everything. Maybe it's getting older. One of us just turned 40. Uh, That'd be me. (laughs) Um, But for whatever reason, uh, those prayers really spoke to me. The the liturgy, um, I I could see much more than I used to as as a young kid. Uh, how it's really a day-to-day companion for people. And then it's a phenomenal book. I can see how it really speaks to that. And I don't think that you have to really be in the exact same situation that the liturgy is addressing to be moved by it or be able to pray it. One of the ones that I read this week was um, a liturgy for one who employs other people. And I don't employ anybody, but... It, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> okay, that, yes, no comment from you. Um, but I, there was a lot of it about how, as an employer, you could serve those that you work with. And I do work with other people. So there, there are always things that are applicable. And, um, yeah, it's just been a really, really great book. Yeah, I, I, I was substantially impressed, and I didn't have necessarily high expectations, but it's a cool one. All right. The next thing that I finished was Troubled Blood by Robert Galbraith. It's the fifth in the Cormoran Strike series. There was a lot of controversy around this one relating to things that the author, who is actually J.K. Rowling, Robert Galbraith is a pen name, um, things that she had said and then her beliefs. Um, I generally believe in reading controversial things for myself before I try to weigh in. Had this one on a pre-order, and so I did finish that one. The last one that I read I just finished today was called Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. And we are such big fans of Frederick Bachman. We read A Man Called Uva several years ago. I think we've mentioned that on here before. You want to say anything about it? Oh, it's a phenomenal book. I even I read one of his other books, which I think focused on, on oh, being did. a dad. What I'm, was the name of that one? I'm completely blanking on the name of it. That but, was a great uh, book, too. But uh, Uva is one of those ones that, that's possible desert island book it's so fascinating really really cool writer yeah and what i expect from frederick bachman is a lot of laughter and then a lot of crying and so going (laughs) into this one that's what i was really looking for um i will admit the premise kind of threw me a little bit all that i really knew about it was that it was supposed to be about a bank robbery that was gone wrong but i thought okay we'll, we'll give that a shot i know you remember i was talking to you as i read this the first third of it, I was not 
really sure if I was going to like it or not. I really, I, I didn't know what to think. There are lots of things that this book says it's about in the beginning. This bank robbery gone wrong. Um, it says it's a story about a man on a bridge. It's a story about a rabbit. And it's a story about idiots. And a little bit into this, I thought, yes, everyone here is an idiot. <laughs> I do not like any of these characters. And I, I kind of felt let down, like Frederick Bachman had failed me for the first time. But by the end of this book, I was teary. Um, he really pulled this around. I told I told you today, the beginning of the book, I said, yes, this is a book about idiots. And at the end of it, I said, oh, my gosh, I'm an idiot. It's just <laughs> he pulls you in that way. And what I liked the best about this book was that um, right now it feels like everybody is carrying a lot and that we are almost required to weigh in and give our opinions on what we think about every single issue that comes up. And this book shows a different and more meaningful way of just looking around you and seeing the impact that you can have on the real people who are near you. Well, Bogman is a very, I would call him a very humble Writer, there there is a humility in his work. He writes about a lot of idiots. I think back to Uve. <laughs> there are plenty of idiots in in Uve, uh, but but it's endearing. He he loves people, and it really comes across in his work. And he has a way of bringing that home uh, to us as readers, which which can be pretty poignant at times when you struggle to remember that maybe we are all idiots and our our best. Our best faith might be to abide by our fellow idiots. Yes. So if you are somebody who is feeling that weight right now and maybe even just feeling kind of lonely in the world, this might be a book that you would really like. Okay, Joe, what about you? Well, I'm a big slacker who actually has several books that are very, very close to being complete, but they're <laughs> not. So I'm not going to go there. The book that I completed over this span, other than Transcendent Kingdom by Yacht Jesse got her name right this time, uh, which we're going to discuss at length, is The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Uh, which is not a first read for you. No, it, it is far from a first read. And I'm reading it to my daughter. My daughter's 11, uh, and we've kind of gone through several books. And I said, I think you might be old enough for this. Now, disclaimer, obviously you have to have some conversations about the language. And I used Negro for another word that Twain uses with complete impunity considering the time that he wrote, but that you certainly can't just pitch around today. Um, it's, it's really probably more consistent with the way he meant the word that was used. Uh, but you know, that's a stumbling block for a lot of people. And I get that, but, uh, Huck Finn is an old favorite for me. It is one of those quintessential American novels. Uh, and my daughter, it was hilarious. I've read it enough that, that the third or fourth time, she said, well, what's going to happen here? I said, sweetie, I don't remember. And she said, how many times have you read this? You don't remember. You always talk about what a great book this is, and you don't know what happens to the Grangerfords or, or whatever. So That is what she would focus on. It is, but but she enjoyed it, and she enjoyed different parts than I enjoy. She really got the dynamic when Tom Sawyer comes to 
help steal Jim away and comes up with these incredibly grandiose plans and they have animals they have to catch that just have to be in there to, to give Jim somebody to play music to, sad music, and then Jim has to write on a pie plate. And Jim Jim humors these kids, but they're Tom Sawyer is an absolute lunatic, uh, and, and my daughter enjoyed that aspect very much. Oh, I heard her screaming about that at the end when she found out the truth of how the book ends and what Tom had put Jim through for no good reason. She was extremely angry about that. Tom puts everybody through everything for no good reason. The, the thing that always fascinates me is the relationship between Huck and Jim. And I think back to Dr. John Spurlock. I I don't even know if he's still with us. Great professor we both had at Western Kentucky uh, years ago. And the way that he would say, they're going down the river, the river of life. (laughs) And it is the river of life. And Jim is such, you know, Huck's his fatherless boy. Jim is the father that Huck never has. And he's the best character in the book. Oh, but by far, you know, and, and that's my answer, I guess, for anybody who struggles with the language. It is a struggle. It is a struggle. And, and these are these are words that we know better than to use anymore that we don't use. But I, I think always about the scene where Jim tells Huck, Huck has pulled the, the, the prank on Jim. And there's the trash that's washed up on the raft. And Jim says, Huck, do you know what trash is? Trash is people who do wrong to their friends. And Huck is humbled. Huck is completely taken aback. And I'm not an expert on African-American literature, but I feel like that's a major scene within American literature because Twain had the audacity to let this African-American character be the voice of morality and he teaches huck this important moral lesson uh, and, and he does that several times he shapes huck more than anybody else in the book and that that's worth a lot to me and i hope it would be worth a lot to anybody who wants to put in the time to read it it, it has many things going for it there are some things that are outdated even outside of the language but uh, it's it's spot in the american literary canon is is probably there uh, if nobody else reads it but I pull it out every few years, and I'd encourage anybody else to do the same. Okay, let's move into the book that we both read, Transcendent Kingdom by Yaw Jesse, um, which I read and mentioned last time, and then you got it over these last couple of weeks. Yeah, Transcendent Kingdom uh, is a novel about a young girl who is of, of Ghanan, Heritage, that's the nation of Ghana, uh, as I butcher it in my Kentucky ease. Um, but she has grown up in Alabama. She has grown up uh, kind of in the shadow of an evangelical Christian church, and she has gone to Stanford and she is finishing up her PhD and she does experiments on lab mice uh, to deal with addiction. And as we learn her story, it becomes clear why she does this. Uh, She is a younger sibling. Her older sibling, uh, Nana, is is a boy who succumbs to addiction. And her father, who is called the Chin Chin Man, there, there are kind of nicknames to everybody. The mother I remember only as the Black Mamba, but the father is out of her life. Uh, for the vast majority of her youth. It's her and her mother, and her mother suffers substantially from depression. Um, 
So it, it can feel like a downer of a book, but it's really not. Because no, it's not at all a downer. It's one of the most uplifting books that I've read this year. Because our, our protagonist here, Gifty, is is always striving, always working. She wants to solve these problems that have haunted her life. Uh, and, and she herself, she's such a lonely character. She's so removed from everything in her world, and yet it's all imprinted on her. She carries all of these threads, and they've all made her a remarkable woman. And I think she has to come to terms with that, and she has to come to terms with the people around her, and she has to come to terms with the balance between faith and science and the way that we don't have answers for all the problems in the world, but the way that we strive to find those answers. That was my absolute favorite thing about this book, the way that she wrestles all the way through with what it actually means to be a person of faith. Does she want to be a person of faith? Does faith have any place in the life that she's living? And we said earlier that um, it's a time right now when it feels very much like we have to be either or. We have to be for or against every single thing in the world. But through her struggle and through the way that she thinks about faith and she examines um, the faith of her childhood and tries to figure out what, if anything, that should look like in her adult life, she shows just that ambiguity and the way that um, none of us are ever just either or. No, not, not at all. And, and, you know, she's explicit in how in evangelical circles— she felt that science was often rejected because it made them uncomfortable and how in scientific circles, faith was often rejected because it, it must just be some silly thing that has no basis in science. And of course she sees the odd duality here in that both of these groups of people, if they choose to be intolerant, they're missing so much uh, because faith does not exist to the exclusion of science, and science does not exist to the exclusion of faith. And Gifty has to figure that out, but, uh, but figuring it out is a pretty interesting journey. I told you that she reminds me very much of Jacob in the Bible, who wrestled with God all night long and refused to let go until he was going to get a blessing. And I think that fits her really, really well. Yeah, that, that's a neat parallel. And there are so many other things going on besides this faith thing. In, in many ways, it's a novel about addiction. Uh, the, the addiction comes out of opiates, which, um, you know, if, if you want to talk about an important issue in current America that really gets massively underplayed, I suppose, because nobody's figured out how to make it a neat political talking point, it's probably opiate addiction because... Um, Rex Chapman, uh, the guy I really enjoy keeping up with, he's very outspoken about it. He had his own struggles with it um, and now tries to use his, his social media presence as a platform to say, this is an important issue. We need to deal with this. We're losing people. Um, so that's that's one of the threads within it. Mental illness is a big part of it. Um, the, the work with the lab rats uh, or lab mice, uh, again, is not not insubstantial. Uh, she's got these these mice trained to where, if they hit a lever, they get some insure, uh, and 
then she starts to introduce pain into them. If they hit the lever, it, it gives them a jolt. And some of the mice will do that calculus and say, gee, it's not worth the jolt to get occasional bursts of insure. And some of the mice will go there for that insure after they get shocked and shocked and shocked and shocked. Just similar to faith, uh, the wrestle with addiction and the desire to overcome and to be, you know, something besides just an either or there also is something that this book looks at really, really well. And then... Um, Gosh, it just looks at all these big questions of what does it mean to be a family member? What does it mean to be a person of color in America, an immigrant? Um, what does it mean to be a friend? My gosh, I love these characters in this story who reach out to her and try to be her friend. I know we don't want to we don't wanna do any spoilers, but um, just also looking at um, what it is to be vulnerable with another person, how we choose the people with whom we will be vulnerable, and how we accept the help from other people that we so often need, but we don't always want to take. I just, I love the characters in this story. Um, they did not seem like caricatures. They seemed like people that I would know from my church, from my community. I, I loved these characters. Like Gifty in particular, I think I was about two thirds of the way through when uh, at one point I, I said to you, I'm not sure I've ever had a character in a book that I more just wanted to give a big hug to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, she she just, she's so good, and she so doesn't give herself credit uh, for that. And, and uh, again, you know, everybody in here, yeah, feels incredibly real, all of these characters. And the mother is incredibly compelling. Uh, the, the pastor of the church that the mother goes to. Uh, Has his weaknesses and failings. Yeah, but, but but at the same time, even Gifty, when she thinks back, remembers things he's done, ways he has been there beside their family, even when that's not something that's really within his realm of understanding. Well, and that's what got me about the characters, the way that there are so many people in the book, and I can think about my life, so many people in real life who try and maybe you're not always in a place where you can receive that very well, but they give what they have. They give what they can. And um, that attempt is precious and it's worth something. We said that one of the things that we liked the most about this book is that it is, like the one we talked about last week, the Deeper South book, it's a portrait, not a judgment on how anybody ought to think about faith or immigration or family or whatever. It's just this is a picture and I really, books like that are so powerful. Well, we, we've talked about some books that either movies exist of them or that movies are, are, should exist of them. And I, that was one of the things when we talked about this. I said, you couldn't do a movie of this because it's, it's ultimately less about some grand moment of decision than just recognizing the inconsistencies and the dichotomies that we all deal with in our own hearts and how we live with those. Uh, so that, that might not make for a movie, but it makes for a heck of a novel. This book came on my radar because Annie B. Jones from The Bookshelf in Thomasville, Georgia, had read it. She and her husband did a podcast recently in which they tried to choose books for all Enneagram types. Hmm. I don't think I told you about this. Mm -mm. But the book that she chose for type 5 which is you, is mm -hmm. Transcendent Kingdom, because she talked about how fives really, really want everything to be orderly and logical, and then the way that science and faith are looked at in this book mm -hmm. that appeals to the way a five's brain works. 
Well, guilty as charged, it worked for me, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about all the time we've got. Uh, thanks for being part of our communication as ever. You reach out. Uh, the email is paperbackreaderspod. That's paperbackreaders with an S-P-O-D at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. Got something else? Let us know, and, and I'll try to get on that. As always, just thank you for listening um, and for being there and for reading.